0: The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast.
1: We got a big recap on our hands. We've got accidental mailbag, we got some promos to get at you. It's a big. Damn Thursday here on Fantasy NBA today a hoop ball presentation. That's hoop-ball.com, at hoopball fantasy. Hey, by the way, you know what I forgot to do? Uh, basically, for months now, is mention the fact that hoopball tweets is actually the full umbrella Twitter handle for hoopball. That's the one where all of the stuff aggregates. Hoopball Fantasy is where we have our news feed and all things fantasy basketball related. Hoopball Tweets has all of the team coverage stuff as well. So that's kind of a in case you forgot or, you know, I-C-Y-M-I. In case you missed it, that's the big one. In case you missed it, Hoopball Tweets. And I am Dan Baspris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Welcome to the podcast. As mentioned just a moment ago, we have a large Wednesday to go over. We've got a visit from Alan Soroki, a little accidental mailbag coming up later in the podcast, and then promo stuff. That's what we're starting with because that is our huge push happening right now, and we need your help. I'll tell you, I would not do something that I haven't done. I wouldn't ask you guys to do it if I hadn't done it myself. I actually don't tell anybody. I actually opened up a new MyBookie account under my wife's name. You can do that got to use the promo code again because i i used it way back in like september figured i'd get i and i didn't do much i just put like a 100 bucks in there but you get that extra 50 dollar bonus 50 percent, 100 bucks 50 bucks you get it you guys do more you get 50 percent regardless make sure you use promo code today that is so critically important it actually asks you and i i I sort of followed my way through it this time just to make sure that I had all of the details right so that way when I tell you what's going on, I know that I'm repeating to you the correct stuff. So now I can tell you what it looks like. So you go to the website. You go to mybookie.ag. You click on the Join button up at the top, and then it gives you a few options of what you want to do next. You fill out your information, and over on the right column, it actually asks you where you heard about mybookie.ag. You can actually fill out... Podcast is one of the choices of where. You can give the name of the show if you want. I did, Fantasy NBA Today. And then there's a promo code. And it has one auto-populate for you, but what you need to do is change it from that to the word today. T-O-D-A-Y. That's how they'll know that you need to get that 50% deposit bonus. It'll put that little treat in your cart and so then, when you decide how much you're depositing, it'll give you the option to activate that bonus. So that's the way it worked. I did that uh, again on under uh, my my wife's email account. So now, eh, it's all right. I'll I'll blow through that small bankroll in no time at all, and uh, hopefully we can grow it a little bit. But you get that going. Do it with us, and uh, hopefully you guys can win some cash when you're following our uh, our guys over at Hootball Gaming. So let's do that together. MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the website. Promo code again is today. Just get yourself signed up. I mean, really, you can put in 50 bucks if you want. Doesn't have to be much. $5 on a game we will make it last forever. It's fun. Let's do it. Let's do a Wednesday recap here um, because it's a big one, and I want to whip through it a little bit. We'll pause on stuff that's more relevant, but there are obviously a lot of teams where we're not going to need to go into mega detail on them. Sacramento got blown out in Detroit. Couple of notes on this ball game, actually. Marvin Bagley missed this one, but is expected to play in their next one. Okay, so this appeared to just be a rest game. That's good news. It wasn't presented that way initially, but then they later came out and kind of self-corrected. Kings were awful. They look horrible these days. They're uh, they're playing like one of the worst teams in the NBA. And I, I feel like I was out on an island with my play of for the Kings to go under this year. And so I'll be going ahead and cashing that ticket most likely. I'm counting my blessings here. Anything can happen the rest of the way. But they've lost six in a row, and they're totally falling apart at the seams. I mean, this is... They can try to blame it on injury, but Vegas had the line for a reason, man. The reason is Luke Walton. He's a bad coach. If you don't give him five superstars... Anyway, Nemanja Bjelica, rolling. he'll be fine. Sounds like Rashawn Holmes is not that far away. We'll see if he and Marvin Bagley learn how to coexist at some point. It seems like someone's always hurting that front court. Dwayne Dedman got 31 minutes with no Bagley, though. Trade him, please. Trade him, please. For the Pistons, Reggie Jackson came back, scored 22 points in 19 minutes. No Andre Drummond. He was dealing with the resultant incredibly swollen mouth as a result of getting that tooth knocked out a couple days ago. So, did Christian Wood start? No, he didn't. Don Maker started, had a double-double with a couple of blocks. Wood came off the bench for 23 points, and of course, he's the guy that we're all, all eyes focused on Christian Wood, should Andre Drummond ever get moved, and I still don't know that he will, but you know, he's your stash guy. And then Sekou Dumbuya, he lost his starting job to Arkeef Morris in this game. Arkeef logged 26 minutes. He's been on the rise a little bit. I mean, we listen, we talked about him last week, and I mentioned he's the guy that came back and kind of blew up Bruce Brown's minutes. Now it seems like he's coming for the Rooks' minutes. Not that surprising. You want to know why? You want to know why? The Pistons are the nine seed right now. They're two and a half games out of the eight spot of a falling Nets club. Brooklyn is completely falling apart at the seams. And the Pistons have won a couple. They're five and five their last ten. The Nets are two and eight. They've gained three games in the last couple weeks. That's huge. They're trying again. They're they're half game up on the Bulls, who are also trying. So suddenly the race for the eight in the Eastern Conference is three teams deep instead of one. It looked like it was going to be eight spots and then everybody else in the East. And now it might very well be someone... So here's the thing with Detroit. There's... This also puts a little bit of a note on do they keep Andre Drummond to just make one last push? I mean, they're obviously not going to do anything if they get to the playoffs, just get smoked by the Bucks in the first round. But there's something to that. Just getting there, having some playoff games, having a little fun. So I wouldn't... And I'm not putting all of my eggs in the they're going to tank their way out and all the young guys are going to get to play immediately basket. I don't know that that's a given. What is Reggie Jackson's role in all of this going forward? I honestly don't know. I think he and Derrick Rose are going to coexist to some degree. I don't think they're going to be trading off necessarily with all the point guard minutes. Rose played 30. Reggie Jackson played 19. So there was a little bit more there than point guard, although it wasn't that far off. But there's too much in terms of ability between those two guys to where they can only use one and not the other. I'm a little concerned about the Detroit young guys, to be totally honest with you here. Now that they're trying to make this weird cockamamie push towards a playoff spot, it seems like Dambuya is going to take a little bit of a backseat. Guys like Markeef might get to play a little bit more. If Luke Kennard ever comes back, he'll get some playing time. And now this is just sort of the team without Blake Griffin you know they're just trying but no Blake so if you were going to try you'd probably play Markeith Morris there forget the young guy maybe not sell off for parts Derrick Rose's role is probably going to recede at some point I don't know if they're going to trade him either you might see Reggie Jackson's minutes ramp up at the expense of some Derrick Rose but also some Langston Galloway probably He's never been a super high assist point guard, but a lot of that is because Blake Griffin has been the facilitator. Now it's sort of Rose and Reggie Jackson as facilitators. I think Reggie Jackson has a chance to be like around the top 130 if they ramp him up to a normal allotment of minutes, maybe. But we'll have to wait and see on that, and he's never really been a guy that's overwhelmed with his fantasy play, even when he's been on the floor. He's going to get picked up in a lot of spots because he burst out with 22 That feels like there will be kind of the resultant fade in one of these games when the adrenaline wears off. But, you know, he may get himself a normal point guard a lot. look at a couple of years ago with him and, you know, sort of in that, you know, 14, 15 points. I don't know, four and a half assists, something like that. But no steals, no blocks, low field goal percent, decent foul shooter, but not on particularly high volume. It's going to be a need for kind of a low impact point guard guy. Maybe even better in points leagues. Anyway, wanted to pause on Detroit because I thought they were kind of an interesting team right now. Oklahoma City, Orlando, no Stephen Adams. New Orleans Noel came back, so he's rock solid, especially while he's starting. And for Orlando, Vooch, he's been coming on these days. Terrence Ross has also been coming on these days. But overall, honestly, they've been okay. Oklahoma City has just shown themselves to be a pretty good team. N- nothing of note in this ballgame. Philly lost Josh Richardson to a hamstring strain four minutes into the ballgame, so that was a bit of a pisser. Does Matisse Thibault now play enough to be fully fantasy relevant? At some point, he's going to have to start taking some shots, and he did take 12 in this one. Or is it going to be more firkin' Korkmaz to space the floor? That might end up being the case. For Toronto, we're constantly trying to figure out whether or not Freddie Van Vliet, his minutes in usage, is going to knock a bunch of guys off the the situation. Now, Patrick McCaw got hurt very early in this game, and OG Ananobi stunk in this game, and so that was a little bit of a help. I don't know if that's going to be the case every ball game. We don't really know if McCaw going to play in the next one. Facial things—they these guys tend to come back pretty quickly. OG might have a good ball game in the next one, but in this one at least, Serge Ibaka logged 27 minutes. Marcus 25. If each of those guys is in the mid-20s, they're each going to be fine. And then Norman Powell still got his 28, so he feels like a dude that really might hold on to value the rest of the way. My big, my big concern are guys like Serge, uh, OG, and Anobi, and whether those two can stay above the cut line. OG, I have completely lost confidence that he's going to stay above the cut line. Serge, there's a chance. He bought himself a little more time with this ballgame. Clippers were basically without everybody. No Paul George, no Kawhi Leonard, no Patrick Beverly. So they had a pretty good start to the ballgame and then completely whiffed the second half. Just couldn't score. Couldn't do anything. If Sweet Lou doesn't catch fire in games like this, they got no shot. And he didn't, so, you know, fart sound effect. John Collins had a monster of a ballgame. Jeff T got a fill-in start and had eight assists and very little else. Kevin Herter bounced back to some degree. And DeAndre Hunter, who we're sort of always watching, continues to generally disappoint in the fantasy landscape. We'll move along from that one pretty fast. Memphis 95 got clobbered by Boston, who put up a buck 19, but Jason Tatum hurt his groin and in his canter hurt his thigh, which, oh, what a wonderful time. Everybody's just getting hurt. Must be the dog days. I actually just traded for Jason Tatum in a league. This is the first game I had him for. He was blowing up, and then he got hurt. Hopefully he only misses, I don't know, a week, something like that. That'll be our our, our hope, but obviously you're not doing anything different with him anyway. If Ennis Kanter has to miss any time, Daniel Tice would get bumped even higher than he has been lately. Tice has been cruising, and he would have played more in this ballgame if they weren't blowing Memphis to smithereens. 14 points, 4 boards, 2 assists, three threes, 2 steals, 3 blocks. He's been cruising at a mid-round value for a month now. Said it on every podcast over the last week. Must own, must start now that he's healthy and fully healthy again. And Enes is actually a must start guy too. Both centers have somehow separated themselves. Meanwhile, for Memphis, they're seeing now sort of the back end of a big winning streak. This is what happens to young teams after you win a bunch. It's hard to sustain it. You lose a game and the thing that pops into your head is something like, well, what, did, what were we doing? And then you start searching. The Grizzlies and the Spurs, man, those teams are battling it out, and the fact that they're both kind of clunky has left the door wide open for teams like the Pels, the Suns, to convince themselves, the Blazers, that they should really hold this thing together as long as possible. And and honestly, Pelicans, I believe, have a relatively easy schedule compared to the other teams in that fight, so they have every right to believe so, and uh, they'll just keep pushing. You don't change your valuations with this Memphis team either. DeAnthony Melton's been playing better, but, I mean, everybody got the brakes slammed on him in this game. JJJ at least had four blocks, so that was okay. And then Valanchunas pretty much had the only good game on that Memphis side. Now, if anybody misses time for Boston, you know Marcus Smart's going to go nuts. That's always his M.O. Lakers took a little bit of time to wake up in New York. They, They had 48 points at halftime. They only scored 52 in the second half, but they held the Knicks to just Forty-four. Anthony Davis was solid, if unspectacular. Just a super efficient. Made all thirteen free throws. I mean, LeBron James was also solid, if unspectacular. They just went about their business. Now that they're generally healthy again, for New York, I still say lob offers out there for Mitchell Robinson. He looked pretty good in this game, despite only having four points. Twelve rebounds was nice. Had himself a blocked shot. He's always going to make a whole bunch of shots or a whole bunch of uh, percentages. And then I'll give credit what credit's due. Alfred Payton actually had an okay game going and then promptly clanged two free throws and committed five turnovers. Oopsies. You got yourself an Alfred. Eight, six, and nine with a steal and two blocks. Everything looked great until you get to the last part of the line. Marcus Morris is back. He looks pretty healthy. Julius Randle looks like he's ready to kill your percentages again. And the Knicks are the Knicks after going on a brief run of non-mediocrity. It didn't last forever, though. Washington took Miami to overtime. He actually had one of those full line changes in the third quarter where Spostra's like, nope, nope, if you guys aren't going to try, I'm not going to let you. Tyler Harrell woke him up off the bench. He had one of his big games, but there's just no telling when that type of crap is going to happen. Kelly Olynyk actually had a decent game. Goran Dragic had a good ball game. And Bam Adebayo was super quiet. Go figure that one out. Jimmy Butler, a ton of free throws in this game. Almost triple-doubled. He was decent. And for Miami, this changes nothing for me. For Washington, Bradley Beal had 38. Looked good for the first time in a month. Davis Bertans had 24. He looked really good as well. Yamahimi, another double-double. It really... This scares me on the Thomas Bryant front. He only played 16 and a half minutes in this game. There was no real reason for him not to play more. He wasn't in foul trouble... Mahimi was good, but not, I mean, like he had a decent ball game. I think they're just going to go real light on Bryant until he is 100% healthy and convinces them that he's good to go. You can't really convince me that Jan Mahimi is going to be this good most nights, but it has been a couple decent ones in a row. And if you are big man stat hunting, I guess he can be on your radar at this point. Freaking darnedest thing. I thought for sure he'd be completely kaput. But they, they kind of like what he's doing overall. He's number 174 and 9-cat on the year. He's been pretty good his last two games. And really like four out of his last five has been relatively serviceable. problem with him is that he's not bashful about getting to the free throw line. And he sucks at the free throw line. That's why he really can't get inside that top 75 range. Medium volume 57%. He's going to break you. If you catch him on like a two-week span where he's shooting 65 or 70, he might be able to get you 115 type numbers, but it's going to be relatively not pretty on the way there. And this is playing out the way that I thought it might. I mean, Thomas Bryant, I think, is eventually going to be back in the driver's seat of that one, but everybody else other than Beal and Bertans is, is cooked. Shabazz Napier played better. Somehow he had 16 points on six shots. That's not going to happen all that often. He made five out of six shots, all four free throws, seven rebounds. That should never happen. couple of steals. They played pretty well in the second half after an ugly first and got their butts kicked. Jarrett Culver was bad for the first time in a long time. I think you have to hold there, especially in dynasty formats. Tough guy to start this year, though. I mean, that's the way it's been. He's got these holes in his game, missed both free throws again. It's uh, it's an active stash, but they're going to be rough ones. For Chicago, Chris Dunn was pretty good. Luke Cornett only played 17 minutes, and I'm starting to think maybe we can move on from that one. I thought he'd see more time, but they ultimately, in this one, went to, to like, semi-blowout minutes. Just started giving Randos. Cristiano Felicio saw 22 minutes, played relatively well off the bench, and he stole all that stuff from Cornett, so... Yeah, you can probably just go with Gafford, or if someone dropped Wendell Carter Jr., just go that way and, and maybe not venture too deep into the center battle in Chicago in the interim. Dunn, Markkinen, Levine, semi-nied to Sataransky, who's really fallen off lately. One of the guys that I liked for a long time. He had like a two-month stretch there where he was playing at a top 80, top 90 clip after a very slow start. he's He's gone back into this sort of full deferment mode. I don't know what the, what's going on there. I would bench him. I'm not dropping him, though. We've seen that he can turn it on pretty quick. Denver was without everybody. They were without everybody. No Jamal Murray, no Paul Millsap, no Gary Harris, no Mason Plumlee, no Michael Porter Jr. Five guys down. So their starters in this one were Jokic and Barton, normal starters, and then three reserves bumped into the starter spot, but even then... They had to go to their third-string center, which was basically Wancho Hernan Gomez and Vlatko Kantkar. Probably not pronouncing that right, but I also sort of don't care. Malik Beasley saw 30 minutes off the bench. There was, to- there was no way to know what was really going to happen this game. I rolled the dice and played Jeremy Grant, and it worked out great. I've been rolling him out there as long as Millsap's been gone, and it seems like that's not necessarily right around the corner, so you can probably keep doing that. And then Barton and Jokic. And that's as far as it goes, and if Michael Porter plays in the next one, you can probably roll him out there. But as the other four guys come back, it's probably going to go back to just being the five starters again, it, with the maybe tag on Gary Harris. Meanwhile, on the Houston side, PJ Tucker actually had a de- decent ball game: eight points, nine boards, four assists, a steal, and a couple of threes—the best game he's had in a while. Eric Gordon at six three-pointers on good percentages, and that'll be the last time that happens for a while. James Harden took a back seat to Russell Westbrook in this one. And for Houston, they just got a pastry matchup against a Denver team that normally would be quite good, but they're just banged up, beyond banged up right now. And as a result, they've fallen into fourth in the Western Conference. That grouping behind the Lakers, Jazz, Clippers, Nuggets, they're all separated by a half game right now. Clippers lost, Nuggets lost, Jazz won again. I thought Utah would really make a hard push this year. You guys remember that was one of my over bets that I thought was dead early on, but they've been crushing lately. Indiana rolled into Phoenix and just manhandled the Suns, and everybody did the stuff that they're supposed to do. Damanis Sabonis got a bunch of points and rebounds. T.J. Warren scored a bunch of points efficiently. Miles Turner blocked four shots, had a three-pointer, and almost had a double-double. Malcolm Brogdon hurt himself, and so T.J. McConnell, excuse me, slipped in there and had himself a double-double. I'm surprised they don't give him more minutes than Aaron Holiday. I, I don't, I'm not seeing the Aaron Holiday thing yet. Maybe he gets there. To me, he seems like a, a little bit of a fish out of water running the point. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, he, he feels more like a scoring guard in a point guard's body, and that's really not what they need at the point. For Phoenix, they just were terrible. Kelly Oubre survived the night, sort of. Bad shooting game, but his other stuff was okay. DeAndre Ayton almost survived the night, and that was really it. Devin Booker hit all six of his free throws. That's, that's the upshot there. Throw this one in the garbage can. They'll be better the next time around. I said it on the podcast, I was very strongly considering a wager on the Spurs and I ended up making, you know me, I bet extremely infrequently. I'm a pick and choose guy. Our, our other dudes, our, other, our guys over at Hoopball Gaming, they break down college hoops, NBA, hockey, football, college and pro. I mean, so they got all sorts of stuff going on. For me, I'm an NBA guy and it's a pick and choose. And this Spurs game with Zion coming back, this is like the one I circled on my calendar weeks ago. I'm betting the Spurs as long as there's no weird stuff going on on San Antonio's side, and there wasn't. I loved everything about this wager. Spurs win it outright as a four-point underdog. Thought about betting a money line, didn't because I didn't have the stones for it. But I put a decent chunk on this ball game, and so I feel, oof, that's just sweating it out, man. Betting on a ball game. This is why you bet when, <laughs> I'm telling you man, bet within your means. I went a little bit outside of my means on this game, and thankfully it worked out couple of notes from a fantasy standpoint. LaMarcus Aldridge, this is a game that pushes him back up in the rankings a little bit. Even at the top of the charts, you need a big game every once in a while to offset the set of quiet, decent ones. 7 out of 8 free throws, 12 out of 20 shooting, a 3-ball, 2 blocks, 32-14. Love it. Jakob Purtle settled in nicely as a shot-blocking specialist, and Derek White lately has actually pulled in front of DeJounte Murray with another nice ball game. 12-4-7, a steal and a 3-pointer. Missed a free throw, which is a little bit unusual for him. I picked him up in one league yesterday. And I'm strongly considering adding in a couple other formats. He's not a points league guy. He's very much an efficiency dude. So that type of stuff doesn't really creep in as incredibly relevant. But in terms of, you know, do you need a guy that's going to get you four-ish assists without killing your percentages, he's a pretty good option in that department. Think about it. He looks like he's starting to come on. I don't know if this is by design, if he's getting... If they're starting to open things up a little bit, are they dialing back wanks like like Brent Forbes? It was just like he was exclusively there for floor spacing. Derek White defensively is so far above what those floor spacers are doing that you feel like they... I mean, all season we've been saying at some point they got to just let these guys play. So we're getting there now. This is maybe... The corner being turned on this being a four-fantasy player team instead of three. New Orleans has too many guys back now. We knew this was going to happen at some point. Zion was extremely quiet for three quarters and then went completely bonkers in the fourth. He scored, I believe, 17 points in the fourth quarter. Got hot from three land. Missed a few free throws. Committed five turnovers. And almost brought his team back to a victory. Derek Favors saw 22 minutes in this game. Some of that was at the expense of Zion, but, I mean, Jackson Hayes still played 16, so if they really want Favors to ramp back up another 4 or 5, they could take it away from Hayes pretty easily. And for Zion, he's going to move up from 18 minutes a game, and they're going to bump people around. I think they know they need Derek Favors. He closed this game for a reason, and that's that's the defense. Josh Hart cooked. J.J. Redick cooked. Ingram, big hit in Zion's first game back. That's this is the this is the precursor. He's going to take a hit. Hopefully not that big of one. Uh Lonzo played well. I'm curious to see if he can kind of stick it out because Drew Holiday was playing off ball and he was extremely quiet in this game. But I'm thinking that you got Drew, Ingram, Zion, Favors, and maybe Lonzo Ball. That's your maybe. Utah beat the Pants off Golden State in the late one. You can generally throw this game out also, although, I mean to some degree, you can't, because the Warriors are so bad, they're not trustworthy. Some ball games. I'm almost jumping on the just dump them all bandwagon at this point, because I was sort of on that for a while, and then I was like, well, maybe, maybe Damian Lee, maybe Willie Cauley, maybe Omari Spellman, maybe Alec Burks, who's actually been okay. D'Lo, he was all right in this game actually. Draymond, ugh. this team is bad, man. They're real bad. You go up against a formidable opponent like Utah, you just you come up looking worse. But if I put the ugliness of this game and all of their games aside, Burks still deserves to be started. Green and D'Lo, when they're playing, deserve to be started. The question marks now are guys like Lee, Willie Cauley-Stein, who got the start and was so horrible that they just couldn't even play him more than 14 minutes. Omari Spellman got 15. Marquis Chris got ejected after 18. They're all split in the center bucket now, and the whole thing's gone to plaid. I don't know that you have to hold any of those guys. Rudy Gobert, very good. Donovan Mitchell, good. Boyan Bogdanovich, good. Joe Ingles, solid, 11-8. Jordan Clarkson had 10 off the bench. Mike Conley had 8 off the bench in 18 and a half minutes. I do think they're just going to slowly bring him along here. A couple of 18-minute games. You'll probably see him hit around 20, maybe 21 in the next one. It's going to be a ramp-up. And this is a blowout, which actually, you almost feel like maybe they could have flipped him back out there in a blowout, but to the same, sort of the same token, it's kind of like, well, why even bother? You know, he got his 18 minutes, nothing fell apart. Pick up our pieces, let's go to the next one. He didn't get hurt, and we'll ramp it up in the next one. No reason to push it here. So a lot went on. Big Wednesday. Before we get into our segment, our guest segment here on this Thursday show, I want to remind everybody that we are continuing to expand our sales team here at HoopBall. If you got daytime availability, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You'll be on the phone warning you right now, but opportunity to make some coin. Daytime availability, comfortable on the phone, hit me. We can also email, if you don't have social media, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Also, please do remember to uh, drop a five-star review on the podcast, but we can, uh, I can remind you how to do that after our guest segment. Without further ado, let's move into that one. All my segments need intro music, but until that day, I'm just going to hum various elevator songs until, until, until we get actual music made for these. So it's the accidental mailbag. That's right. It returns round two with the great Alan Srokey. What's up, man? Good to have you back.
0: Pleasure to be here again, Dan. I really liked that little jingle at the beginning. We yeah. should definitely work on getting, uh, you know, maybe work you into the intro music.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? The I don't. I already have forgotten what it sounded like, but luckily it's recorded, so I can go back and I can just pull that ditty and put it anywhere I want in any podcast I want. Thankfully, the the magic, the magic of recorded audio. How's life, my man? How are your fantasy teams hanging in there? You said you got one that lost Dwight Powell, so that sucks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that team is thankfully doing pretty well. Uh, I've been making quite a comeback over the last month, and I'm we're looking like I'm going to be pretty good in the postseason. It's a head-to-head league, and then I've got a, a roto league that is not not too great right now. Um, I believe it's one that we're in together, uh, and it's not. It's yeah, it's just not been my year um, <laughs> by any respect.
1: Um, yeah, I've been. You know, I got so many Chris Pauls and LaMarcus Aldridge's. My teams are doing generally okay, so I can't complain too much. I got to tell you, man, before we even get into the accidental mailbag, first, you can follow Alan on Twitter, at Alan Soroky, A-L-A-N. The last name is spelled S-R-O-C-H-I, S-R-O-C-H-I, the spelling on the last name. He's a writer here at Hoopball. He's a podcaster here at Hoopball, and he's a guest on Fantasy NBA Today was about to tell us what's buzzing in the NBA Twitter sphere and hoop ball forums. But before we get into that, you've started doing some kind of big picture takeaway stuff on Twitter. I really, I just wanted to give you some props. I really like it. It's a way to sort of kind of hone in on the the big ticket items, the things that are moving the needle, especially with guys that are moving around near the edge of the free agent list. Those guys that might be able to make an impact on your team. So uh, kudos, my man. I think people should... I mean, if people are going to go follow you, that's a good reason to do so. Nicely done.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I took some inspiration from all your tweet storms because, you know, that's just a great way to kind of stay on top of news and going on. And you really, I mean, I feel like I learned a lot more just by doing them. Um, Just it's it's a lot of fun to sort of find those little finds or monitor short term trends and all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to be trying to do them. Every weekday, Uh, I've yet to do mine today, but maybe I'll do that after we record this here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, get get on that, Alan. What the (laughs) heck, come on, man. What are you, what are you around for here with this podcast? No, it's. I mean, it and it is really, and that's one of the advantages too, is that you do, uh, you do do yours. I tried to avoid saying do do but it happened anyway. You do Started yours, there. yeah, my bad. You do yours in the daytime, which is number 1, a difference. Mine my tweet storms which are less frequent this year unfortunately. I had too many damn giant projects happening at hoopball, but still somewhat frequent is a, it's really more of a here's some big things that could be happening tonight. Here's what happened yesterday. It's a, it's a different time of day, so you have different news at your fingertips as well. So go follow Alan on Twitter again. A L A N S R O C H I. You haven't. You don't want to change that to just like basketball, Alan, huh? That's too. That's too simple.
0: <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, Hollywood made a lot more sense. I made this back when I was in high school. Oh my I figured, god! Well, I may as well get the Alan Strokey handle before someone else comes and takes it.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, all the, how many Alan Strokies <laughs> are there out there?
0: I I would be surprised if there was one more than, my, uh, than I hope, myself. I
1: hope there's one other one with a with <laughs> a really um, kind of uh, dirty-looking mustache, like evil Alan Srokey. <laughs> so if you two uh, ever, you know, like he's been slowly plotting your demise for the last 30-some-odd years or whatever.
0: <laughs> that's Alan, r- Alan Srokey underscore one. Yeah, Very that's, upset that's that I right. took his turf there. <laughs> he's out
1: there, man, and he's coming for you. That's fine. I'm sure Dan Bespris underscore one is equally annoyed with me. Um all right, let's let's talk accidental mailbag. A brief uh intro here before we dive into it. This is basically it's not a mailbag episode. We didn't we didn't take questions for it, but Alan's got his finger on the pulse. He's in the hoop ball forums, he's on Twitter, and this is effectively things that we decided were mailbag questions, even though they weren't intended to be, because they're just happening a lot. They're just stuff people wanna know about right now. And with that, I give you the floor. Where are we starting? What's the first thing that Someone didn't mail but ended up in your mailbox anyway.
0: So, this one's kind of an amalgam of things here. This is uh, Al Horford versus Eric Bledsoe. I've seen, I've gotten a lot of questions on Twitter about trades either moving off of or acquiring both of those two. And I even found both on Twitter and in the Hoop Ball forums a question that involved trading one for the other. Um, this was, you know, the Twitter one from the grog monster and, uh, swish five <laughs> on the who forums. They both posed a question. Would you trade Eric Bledsoe for Al Horford? And, you know, I went into some of the stats for these two and on the year Horford's been the better player overall, but over the last month, they've actually been pretty much in the same ballpark. Eric Bledsoe number 89 in nine cat while Horford has been 91 in nine cat. So I, I thought that it'd be interesting to explore maybe why these two, and for the record, that's both pretty low for those two, considering where they are on the season. I think Horford on the year is 59 overall, while Bledsoe is 79. So I guess the question here is, why are these two slumping, and which of the two would you rather have? I believe both posters wanted to trade Bledsoe for Horford.
1: Hmm. So where do you stand? I'll, I'll, I'll put you back in the hot seat. Where do you stand on this one?
0: Honestly, I'm kind of an Al Horford guy, mostly because of the uh, – his stat set's pretty cool for his position. I like the assists, obviously, and he's definitely – he's been prone to helping you out in both defensive stat categories. And he gets you – with the threes, too, that makes him you know, one of those rare fantasy players that's capable of doing all three of those things. So he's kind of my guy, and I think that he – there's a greater need for him in Philadelphia And also with Bledsoe, you know, I think part of the reason why I think he's slumping is because, you know, Milwaukee's got a fantasy problem in that they blow people out all the time. All all the time. All all the damn time. time.
1: It's there's like if they had a close game with Boston and that's pretty much it. I mean, if you look at this team's last just to, by the way, to highlight the point you're making, because it is so, Mm -hmm. uh, so intensely right. Their recent games. Uh, They beat Chicago by 13, but that one was actually much farther apart for a while. They beat Brooklyn by 20, Boston by 5. That was a close one. Knicks by 26, Blazers by 21, Kings by 21. I mean, you might as well just pick a number and stick with it, I guess. Warriors, that was the game where they sort of snoozed their way through and actually was somewhat competitive. Lost in a blowout at San Antonio. So even when it should be competitive, it went the other direction. That was part of a home-and-home with the Spurs. Uh, Minnesota, they had a tight one. They beat Chicago by 21 again before that. So, yeah, just looking at their last dozen games, three times I listed a 21-point win, and that wasn't even the biggest of the bunch. They're, his minutes are very low as a result. Is that the direction this was going?
0: Yeah. I mean, or, I mean, on the season, Bledsoe's only averaging 26 a game, and over his last month, it's even less. It's 24. So he's basically playing half a ball game and he's still, you know, top 100 value so he, you know, he still know he's capable but yeah there's just no need to run him out there for the extra minutes necessary to get him to kind of the area that people were hoping he'd be this year.
1: Yeah, it's the lowest minutes per game for Bledsoe since 2012-13 when he was Chris Paul's backup in LA with the Clippers. That's that's how far back you got to go. Even last year in Milwaukee they tried to keep his minutes down to keep his body fresh, but at least he was at 29 I don't think people realize what a 10 to 15 percent bump in stats actually means for a guy. Doesn't a 10 or 15 percent bump for him actually put him basically right where he was last year?
0: Probably, yeah. I mean, you just look at like the numbers on the last month, just for reference. It's 14 points a game, only 3.7 rebounds, three and a half assists, not uh, 0.9 steals. Like all of those things could get him. I don't know. If you add 15 percent on that, you're looking at a guy who's getting you close to four and five, four rebounds, five assists, maybe closer to 15, 16 points. Steel 1.2 in that area, and that could be a top 60 player.
1: By the way, would you like to know what his line was from last year when he was around top 40 something? What was that? 16, four and a half, and five and a half.
0: Well, there you go. That's, yeah, that's it right there. So, How, how's that yeah, for how's that
1: for fun math? <laughs> <yeah>.
0: <laughs> I I I think I might watch too many fantasy box scores. That it's, might it's con- con- it's little...
1: it's conceivable. So then,
0: yeah. do we think his minutes? Will change it all. Twenty six
1: feels, and even and twenty four, obviously there was you know coming back from injury, kind of at the front end of that. But even over the last couple of weeks, these blowouts, his rotation minutes are more. I think in the traditional sense, like he plays the beginning and end of each half, so mm-hmm. you know he'll get his fourteen and a half first half minutes. But a lot of times he'll only get the opening seven minutes of the second half, and that's why you're seeing a lot of games where he's sitting right around 21 minutes lately when it's not a crazy blowout.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's so, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's really a way to game for that, you know, because it's not like the Bucks are going to start – letting teams into games going forward. And I don't really know what their like the strength of schedule looks like for the rest of the year. Uh, I didn't look that one up, but they're, they're, in, even they're in
1: the East. If, so it's not much. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's still a cakewalk. You're probably going to see, you know, you're going to see three of the five worst teams in the league every single, uh, a lot more frequently. So yeah, it's a tough one to gauge, but you know, when he does get to the 30-minute threshold, he's great. I mean, and he's, he's been on one of my teams this year, and I've seen that. And he had a pretty hot stretch for a couple of weeks where I guess the Bucks weren't blowing teams out, where he was putting top 30 value. So he's very, very hilly, up and down.
1: So for that reason, because of the hills, because of the fact the Bucks don't seem like they're going to let people back into a ball game, that's pushing you to the Al Horford side?
0: Mm-hmm. And also I feel like Horford's stuff, you know, part of the reason he's been struggling is – you know he he's shooting 43 42% over his last month of games and a lot of that's come without Embiid. so he's definitely been a more focal point of the offense but you know he's been a different it, he he's been shooting far more three-pointers this year than at any point of his career because he I don't think he's ever been on a team with less perimeter talent than the than the current one with the Sixers there's not a lot of three-point shooting here he's among their best options for that yeah. and as a result he's shooting more threes, his worst three-point uh, percentage of his career, his worst field goal percentage of his career. And, you know, when he's really not hitting shots, he's basically putting up guard shooting percentages.
1: Yeah, it's pretty weird. I mean, he's he's a guy that has, outside of basically one season, been 49% to about 55 or 56% from the field for what's been a now a 12, 13-year NBA career. And this season, he's at 45. Some of that is the extra three-pointer, but... I don't feel like I can blame it all on that. Uh, his his looks elsewhere haven't been dropping either. I mean, so does that mean I guess this is the analysis part of the proceedings. We've we've isolated the problems. We're halfway into the year now. You know, we're we're past the 50% mark. Is there still an opportunity for Horford to take off, for him to go on a hot run or is he just kind of a weird fit offensively, obviously very good fit defensively everywhere he goes? But he's just kind of a weird fit offensively on a team that can't space the floor at all.
0: I, I do think that he's kind of a weird fit. And then you know, I think that's been Philadelphia's problem all year is that we all went into the offseason thinking like, wow, these guys built a crazy team to go against the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, they're going to be great. But the result has been like, they're what, sixth in the East right now or fifth? Yeah, they're not, they're, they're
1: not good against everybody else.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because they're too, you know, the team doesn't make a whole lot of sense against a lot of these uh, teams that are, more mobile have more wings uh who just i don't know it's just i i feel like his percentages are definitely not going to get up to the point where we've seen them in his career i you know you can make an argument that they maybe get better while the team learns each other more i know it's the halfway point so that argument might not be all that sound but i don't know it's not going to be 43 percent all year no, I,
1: I, it, it it does yeah. seem like it needs to come back up a little bit. So there's a there's a tiny buy low thing here. What about when Embiid comes back? Horford was in a pretty sour stretch when Joel was healthy and doing basically all the stuff that a big man needs to do. Can he find a way to coexist there? Because I'm I'm almost trying to get you to talk me into Bledsoe here. I, I want to get to a we're going to get to a final point, but we got to cover all of our bases.
0: Yeah. Ah, <sighs> I mean. I don't really know exactly what it was that was going on with him when he was during during that rough stretch with Embiid. I know he had like a knee and hamstring thing maybe like a month beforehand. And sort of after that point, I think that's when a lot of his shooting started going off kilter. Um, you know, uh, there might be more opportunities for him to play without Embiid because I know they've phased guys like Kyle O'Quinn completely out of the rotation. So I don't know, maybe <laughs> that, that opens up. I don't really, he wasn't playing all that much, but. I don't know. I think maybe it has to be where, for in order for Horford to get back up, he needs to get. I think the, some of the post touches that Embiid sees, or a little bit of a little more share of them. Anything. All these.
1: Yeah. Anything at all. I think I may go the opposite side from you on this one. I might go the okay. Bledsoe route because I think there's a little bit of a weird. There's sort of arguments to be made statistically for a buy low on both of these guys. Bledsoe's steal rate this year is basically the lowest it's ever been. He's at .9 in 26 minutes. Um, even in Phoenix when he was playing uh, in the 20s of minutes early that season before the barbershop incident, and you know even with the Clippers, you go way back to the beginning of his career, there was never really a time where he was sitting on a, on a, a steal per 36 number as low as what he's at this year. This year, it's like about one and a half per 36. Most of his career, he, he's he been up around two per 36. And so this is, this to me feels like a bit of an anomaly. I don't know if, and I'd say things got better, but they haven't really. They He sort of came out of that injury and got a whole bunch of steals real quick. And I thought, oh, well, there we go. And then they've, they've dissipated a tiny bit again here lately. He only has one steal over his last five games combined. But at the same time, He's a guy where he sort of knows where he belongs in this team's offense. Um, There's nothing that's coming to take his job. There isn't some other guy playing his position that's forcing him off his normal spot, which actually was the case last year when Malcolm Brogdon was around. And that is also the case for Al Horford, who's kind of getting pushed off of center with Joel Embiid. Well, presumably when he comes back around and and plays again. So I'm going to take Bledsoe here, despite the low minutes, because I think the steal rate trends up, and I think that things always kind of level off for him in that, like, 15, 4, and 5 range. And so you, ju- you just put a little more steal into the bucket, and he could to me, jump Horford by maybe a round of value. But those dudes are close, man. You pick two guys that are going to be tight the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I, I do like that take. I didn't consider the lower steal rate with him, but I, I do, yeah, I think I still get side with the Horford side of things just because when I'm looking at guys who are this close, I like deferring to more concrete roles and it's not like Bledsoe's not he's not being threatened for the point guard job but those minutes and how they can be yanked around at will just they freak me out a tiny bit it's
1: kind of funny actually how not that dissimilar their stat sets are despite one guy (laughs) one guy being a center and the other guy being a point guard right like you'd say well look at your team build but no not really for this one it's like the difference between the two is Al Horford has what about half a block more Mm -hmm. per game and Bledsoe like what an extra two assists or something like that. I mean, it's really what's well, the free throw percent probably for Blood? So that's that's doing the trick. It's pretty weird that these two yeah. guys are actually. You could make a trade between them and it wouldn't <laughs> impact your team's makeup almost at all. Um, yeah. All right, give me number two. What's what's the second letter in your mailbox?
0: So this one's kind of funny because I'm pretty sure on the last spot that I did with you, we started off with like a, with a hypothetical trade. And then we moved on to talking about an injured guy and what do you do with him? That, of course, was Zion, who's making his debut. Well, I guess he's making – he's made his debut Wednesday. So this other guy, though, who we're a week away from seeing, Victor Oladipo, mm. he – I've seen multiple posts on the hoop ball forums regarding Oladipo, both like, should I trade him? Should I trade for him? And I've also seen questions regarding Jeremy Lamb, who I think a lot of people accurately are predicting is going to be the big guy who could take a hit when Oladipo comes back. And I'm not, I'm, and I'm not necessarily sure if he's going to be completely wiped out. I think there's maybe an argument to be made that he still plays enough to have fantasy value, but it's really it's uncharted territory with this team. We've never seen all, we've never seen Oladipo interact with a lot of these brand new pieces in indie. So I guess the question here is one, do you think that... Would you rather trade for Oladipo? Or if you have him, would you t- rather trade off of him? And I guess the second one would be, what would you do if you own Jeremy Lamb?
1: I'll answer this one first, since I made you take the lead on the last question. And it feels, right. it feels only fair that I have to ram my face into a brick wall on the Oladipo question. Um, I... This is, this is a tough one. So I, know. I think... Here's, here's the mental hurdle you have to try to get over. If I've held him this long, which now is all the, the end of October through November, that's month one, December, January. You've held him for three months now of NBA basketball, which is redundant as hell, but I did it anyway. You've held him for three months. I needed to say National Association of Basketball if I wanted to do that right. It's really hard mentally to say, okay, well, he's about to play. I'm going to trade him now. But at the same time, that's probably the best move from a value standpoint. Because no one, someone might have tried to trade for him maybe a month ago, but you wouldn't have gotten fair market value. And this is the first time you're going to get close to market value for Oladipo. But there's going to be a little bit of a premium because someone's going to try to come get him, and you're going to be like, Dude, I just squatted on this dude for three months you're not going to get him from me for less than his expected return at this point. There's no discount anymore. But at the same time, there are a lot of little things that could happen. We we don't know how he's going to come back from this thing. His athleticism was one of his giant advantages. Defensively, he's just a monster because he's faster than people that are the same size as him and stronger than people that are the same size as him. If any of that slips, his game goes into the toilet, well, maybe not into the toilet, but certainly takes a hit as well. From a fantasy standpoint, people might forget this, he actually was having kind of a weird season last year before he got hurt, where his free throw number was way down, percentages were goofy for him. Uh, I think he was was like around the top 50 instead of the top 15 where he was the season before because all of the percentages were off, and then this big injury hit. So you kind of have to take a few things into account here. I'll roll all of that together into one big ball. And my take is people probably forgot that he was a top 50 guy two seasons ago or last season, I should say, but after being a top 20 ish guy, the previous year, you might be able to get someone inside the 30, 35 range for him now by a person who's expecting that top 15 return. If you can do that, you absolutely positively do even though you're like, what? I don't even get to do this. I don't even get him to play for one game for me after I held him for three months. That's correct. And then uh, alternatively, the other move is you just ride it out. The only thing I don't think I would do right now is go buy him because I think it's going to cost you more than what you're going to get back. Jeremy Lamb, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm monologuing here, and then I'm going to shut up for a minute. I think you have no choice but to hang on. Everybody knows that Oladipo is coming back. You're not going to get enough for Lamb in a return at this point. He sort of already slowed a little bit as he's fallen back towards 85, 90, maybe more towards the end of the top 100. T.J. Warren has actually been the guy that's kind of moved out in front with a slightly safer role anyway. I think you're probably stuck just riding it out with Lamb unless you want to make a move for someone in that that 105 to 115 range who you think might be able to move up a little bit in the second half, like maybe a P.J. Washington, or maybe you're not afraid of Joe Ingles, or if you like what Daniel Tice or Mark Gasol is doing lately, maybe you could pry those dudes free. But I'm not sure that you could anyway. And now with that, Alan, I stop talking. You have the floor. <laughs> Feel free to go as long as you want because I'm tired.
0: I'm yeah. Take a breather there. I because uh, I agree with you. I'm going to reinforce a few points uh, uh, that you just made there. Like you were you're right about Oladipo last year. He was top. I think he was 53 and nine cat as it turned out after 36 games, and his percentages were way out of whack. And really, I'm in favor. I'm in favor if you have him. This there's a good chance, maybe not a good chance, but there is a chance that this is the best time to trade him because you're getting out in front of what could become a very shaky situation as he not only works his way back into game shape and game form, but he's also interacting with a brand new point guard, a new small forward. the The center and power forward rotations are all different now with Sabonis and Turner playing alongside each other. There's a lot that he's going to have to sort of feel out in the beginning and. You know, there's not a lot of time for him to become, to really ramp up. The Pacers are going to have 35 games left uh, by the time that he's there. And, you know, uh, Nate McMillan's sort of an old school coach, so I don't know how they'll approach rest with him. But they do have four back-to-backs on the rest of the season as well. So that's something else worth keeping in mind. If you wanted to, like, bet against all the shakiness, you could trade him right now. With a mix of anticipation for his return, the name recognition—like you could get someone who far out, who could far out uh, exceed what he'll be able to bring to the table. So yeah, for the posters who owned Oladipo, and we're thinking of making deals for him, in fact, one said, uh, "Should I uh, shop out Oladipo for Rashawn Holmes?" I'm I'm all for that move. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, or maybe there was another guy who said, "Hey, what have I shot uh, shipped out?" Oladipo for Montrez Harrell uh, or Jared Allen, to which I'd say maybe you could go a little higher because I don't know these guys, it, Oladipo's name recognition is very high. So I'm definitely in agreement with you there.
1: Yeah, aim higher, by the way, on those two names. I agree with you on mm-hmm. that one. What are you doing with Jeremy Lamb then?
0: Yeah, well then, so Jeremy Lamb, I, you have no choice but to hold. Uh, the question I was referring to, which on Twitter was a one underscore Aaron, he asked if he should drop Jeremy Lamb for Dorian Finney-Smith. And I'm like, well, no, I don't think you should. Because nope. even it, DFS is not a guy who's all that good on a consistent basis anyway. But Jeremy Lamb, you, you just don't have a choice but to see where his role falls out. Because, you know, there's, he's still the sixth best player on this team, I would think. Like he, I think he becomes the clear-cut sixth man. And you gotta look at where all these other minutes without Oladipo have come from. Like, uh, like, Justin Holiday, he's averaging 25 minutes a game. You think that's gonna hold up when Oladipo's is back into the rotation? Probably not. Um, Jeremy Lamb's probably gonna take some of those away from him. Aaron Holiday might not play as much off guard as he's been doing, but you know he is kind of a young prospect, so he might get some here and there. I-, I don't know. I just I feel like Lamb isn't totally dead in the water yet. There is a world that he could maintain, maybe one to one ten value in non-cat yeah. leagues. Yeah. So I can see that. yeah. I I I definitely and yeah, like you said, I don't think that there's much value to be had in trading him. Most people who look at Jeremy Lamb are only going to see Victor Ol- uh, Oladipo's name attached.
1: Yep. All right, give me your third and final letter. Who's All right. This is like a like a Pee-wee Herman thing. <laughs> that's what i'm picturing by the way while we do this segment but sorry go ahead open the mailbox one more time what do you got in there
0: o- opening my giant velcro letter here that's uh, right <laughs> this, one, this one's actually not accidental though uh, i have to preface it i asked this question i posed it on the hoop ball forums and even on twitter as well
1: at alan um, Sroke, by the way
0: at a, thank you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah this was a. Uh, I asked it was a very open-ended general question who worries you the most? Like, is this a guy, like a guy that you maybe picked up a month ago, who's become a much better fantasy player for your team than you thought? Are you worried about their outlook? Is there a player you drafted based off of recent news or circumstance? Like, are you afraid of what will come with them? Open ended like that, I mean, got a lot of great responses, but it was what was staggering was that through the responses on Twitter and on the forums, I'm pretty sure. Every single relevant fantasy relevant Washington Wizard was listed. I got Bradley Beal from uh, Tyler Durden on Twitter. Um, we had uh, our our buddy Joaquin. He he said that he was a little afraid of Thomas Bryant. Um, I think Ra- uh, uh, Rashby on the the forums talked about Jordan McRae giving him a lot of uh, pause, and then Oronok sixty two talked about Davis Bertans. Giving him some concerns about his slow start since injury. So, Dan, the big question uh, that we're going to close out with here is: What do you do with any of these fantasy options on the Wizards when they're at full strength? Like, how do you how do you gain for them?
1: I'm less afraid on the Bradley Beal front. So let me just throw that out. And I mean, obviously, the fact his season hasn't gone as well as expected. He's number 41 right now, and and folks were hoping for top 10. So that's a mess. But in terms of getting out from under him. From the the rest side of things, I'm less afraid of that. I think if you can trade him for somebody who thinks he's still going to be a first rounder, then yeah, you you know you you split the difference or something to that effect. Davis Bertans, I'm holding. I, I think he's working his way back in. Uh, from a from a usage standpoint, he hasn't been taking nearly as many shots since coming back, but he's still number 51 overall, and he's a three point monster. I think he'll be okay. And then um. Thomas Bryant, he was on the list too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that one worries me a tiny bit. I, I'm a little bit. He's number 97. He's on a pretty strict minutes cap right now. I don't know how long that's going to last. This is a guy coming back from a stress reaction on a team that has nothing to play for. So it feels a little bit silly to ramp him up in any meaningful fashion. I think if you can find somebody who still thinks Thomas Bryant's going to get inside the top 75, you go try to make that deal. Uh, You know, you can't drop him, right? Because he's still, at some point, going to take the starting job back from Jan Mahimi. One would have to assume, unless, you know, I don't know if the Wizards are showcasing Mahimi or something. But uh, from a Bryant standpoint, he's probably not going to be that top 50 guy that a lot of people drafted him as. I I think Brewski was actually pretty low on Bryant this year. I believe he was one of the, the center fades in the B-150. You know, I don't think that he saw a giant stress reaction coming, but just sort of a weird what is this team playing for, you know, what is his role going to be kind of situation where the hype that we all had him on our rosters last year at hoop ball, then kind of ran away with things when he got the contract and got the starting job and everything seemed lined up for him. So I think I'm selling to see if I can get more than his current rank. I don't think he's actually going up all that much from where he's at but there are people that almost definitely do. So you go try to get what you can out of those guys. I mean, you're not trying to fleece anybody. But if you can just kind of get off that property for someone in the 75 to 85 range, I think I'd do it. I mean, a guy like a Brandon Clark is an interesting name to throw out. Lower minutes, but a really interesting 9-cat roto type of guy. Um, other names in that area. Patrick Beverly, who's obviously hurt right now, but he's been great and in kind of a a weird usage role, his off-kilter stats. on Bogdanovich in Utah, his role's pretty safe. Um, these are names I think you might be able to get for Thomas Bryant. I feel like if DeAndre Jordan wasn't hurt right now, you might be able to get Jared Allen for Thomas Bryant. Um, TJ Warren, also a possibility. These are all guys that I think I would tra- probably try to get off that property for. What about you?
0: So, uh, you know, Why don't, why don't I start from the start from the top with Bradley Beal, which I also agree. I think he's basically at this point of the season, we're not going to see him get to that first round level that we had all hoped out of him. Like he's pretty much settled in in the 30, 40 range, and a lot of that has to do with really high volume, poor shooting. Um, you know, like, it's just in like then it's just regular statistical pitfalls where he doesn't get you a ton of rebounds and blocks and high turnovers, all that all that jazz. So. It's hard for me to envision how he gets himself be- uh, better on the season, particularly where, you know, now that his Iron Man streak of his is over and the Wizards are, I think that they're more amenable to resting him. He's more amenable to being rested. I think that actually meant a lot to him because, you know, he played every game last year, right?
1: Um, uh, yeah. Was it all, was it all? I feel like he might've missed one. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you... I could be wrong. I'll look
0: it up while you're breaking these guys down. No, he played all 82. Good for you. You
1: got that one right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, now then he missed eight or seven or however many it was to start the year. So Or, sorry, to start 2020, not the season. So it's, you know, he's been struggling with his shot. And since he got back from injury, it's only five games, but he's been outside. He's been like 120 and nine cat. He's just chucking away and it's just not been, he just doesn't look the same. So I'm... I'm definitely not. I I would be worried too <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to the person who has them. Um, Davis Bertans is interesting. I, I think that, you know, remember he, he's 51 on the season and he was a guy who, I mean, that's a large product of that top, that first round level that he was playing at for like 11 games in December, where he was basically matching James Harden for three pointers per game. and was shooting like 45% from the floor and 90 from the line. And, all this stuff, which came because the Wizards were decimated and had no options in the middle. that Rui was out, Bryant was out. Um, All these guys were out. So that's kind of inflated his value. But what I've seen from him so far, I'm a a little encouraged if he figures out the field goal percentage that he might be able to get to a top 75 range like he started the year. Uh, Before that hot stretch of his his first 17 games, he was literally 75 in 9-cat. And he was doing it, pretty much like the stats that in his five games returned uh, from injury compared to those are very similar. The only difference is that he's shooting 34% since returning. So that's obviously going to come back up. Uh, if that field goal percentage settles in closer to the 45 to maybe 43 range, then he could be a guy who gives you top 80 value. So he's a guy I'm trying to buy on and holding. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely holding him, but I'm, I'm, I'm just see if I can try and snag him, put him on my team because I don't see any reason why he's just going to stop shooting in this offense. Nope. And then, yeah. And then for the Thomas Bryant thing, I think uh, you make a good point about the stress reaction. That might be the, th- and like not wanting to play him, but I think I'm a little more optimistic that he finds a way to just play. Consi- as long as his health permits, I really don't see a reason why the wizard shouldn't play him. He's still a young guy. He's still worth building around and helping, you know, develop his game. Some, He's just, uh, like, I, I'm kind of encouraged that he could be, like, a 65 to 75 guy uh, type of player if he is healthy and he does play his regular minute share. It's not been encouraging so far, but I don't know. I don't see Jan Mahini or uh, Anj- Osnitz Pasiknitz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're proud of me for that one? I think I got it. Oh, yeah, no. that
1: was that. that was <laughs> dynamic, man. That was dynamic.
0: <laughs> um, Those guys aren't. Go to be Bryant? They're not going to stop Bryant, I don't think, as long as – again, as long as health permits. They're not going to stop him from getting to 27 minutes. And just out of curiosity, I compared the last month of, last, of Bryant's season last year where he basically took the starting role full-time compared to how he started off this season. And it's basically the same. I mean he was top 70 player in his uh, last month of games last year. And in his first 18 games this year, he was number 72. Uh, doing it on about eight and a half rebounds close to a block or one one block to 1.2 good field goal percentage if he stays healthy he's a guy that I, I really do think that the wizards will just let him play because they have nothing to play for aside from youth development and uh the last guy was jordan McRae, who i'm not even i've since in doing all this research i've Kind of like I was saying, yeah, maybe you should hold him because he looks like he's got a six-man type of role when this team is healthy. And I've sort of talked myself out of that now. Yeah, I, I, didn't, don't...
1: I didn't get to him either in my rant. I'm I'm sort of out on him as well. It was nice to see him closing the game, but it just seems like the usage isn't going to be there with Beal around.
0: And even when Beal's out, he was only a, he was only top ninety while scoring twenty points a game and hitting like nearly three three pointers. Because you know the efficiency both from the floor and the field are not great with him. He, he's just sort of a limited fantasy. Play. He, like you've been saying a lot on the podcast, uh, you, he's a points league guy through and through. Um, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of stash appeal to him in hopes that Beal just gets shut down and he becomes the guy because he's barely standard league ready when he's doing that.
1: Yeah, he's a chucker and Beal loves to play through stuff. So that's not a stash that I'm going to squat on the rest of the way. There are other guys that I'd rather take a shot at stashing, and I'm not a big stash guy to begin with, but if you're going to take that path, at least sit on a guy who has something better than top 85 upside, like a Larry Nance or a Christian Wood, or someone that could actually claw up towards that top 60 type territory. Those are real difference makers, at least if they hit. Whereas if McRae hits, I don't know how much he really changes your team anyway. You know, you get a boost in scoring, but you're going to take a hit in possibly both percentages. Is that worth it? I don't know. Meh.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, he, he's just very low appeal there, and you know the 20 points a game is, can be pretty intoxicating for, you know, for fantasy players who feel like points is everything. But he's just really, he's just not that great.
1: Alan, before I let you go, can you say that backup center's name again for me?
0: Oh God, Osnetz uh, Hasikniks. <laughs>
1: that was spot I, on, man. Crushing I hope it. that's
0: right. I'm th- sorry to him if it's not.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's pretty damn good. That sounds like what the dude said on the Wizards broadcast. You know, that was. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I, I've had to on the box score breakdown. I've had to I've basically gotten the Wizards on a lot of roll of the dice and which teams we break down. I always have to <laughs> go over his name. So I've gotten a lot better at that one.
1: You don't want to just call him AP from going forward.
0: Make your it be a little easier. Maybe I'll start doing that.
1: Yeah, make your life
0: easy at this point.
1: Uh, he is Alan Srokey, He of the accidental mailbag. He is the guy who is walking up to your Twitter doorstep and stealing your mail. <laughs> and putting it his comically large Velcro uh, envelopes. That's the, I love that reference. At Alan Sroki, A-L-A-N-S-R-O-C-H-I. He is a contributor, writer, podcaster, all the good stuff here with us at hoop-ball.com. Alan, February's accidental mailbag's right around the corner. You got the, uh, you starting to do your thieving already?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, everyone, watch your mailboxes. Make sure <laughs> that if you leave that little flag up, I'm here to put it down. That's the order that that goes in. And Yeah, look, yeah, look, uh, look for a dude in like
1: a Braves hat that's stealing your mail. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's Alan. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. And that was our buddy, Alan Sroki. Spelled it enough for you today. Good dude. Like that guy. Working hard on the Twitter. Working hard in the forums. Busting it. That's what we want here at Hoop Ball. These guys just busting it to get to the top of the fantasy pyramid. Alan Sroki on Twitter. That same handle. S-R-O-C-H-I. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this Thursday show. Tomorrow, we will wrap up the week with our typical weekend review. All the pickups, drops, watch lists, hold streamers of a week gone by. Maybe even some stashes since Geez, I didn't even realize this. Trade deadline is two weeks away. And yes, to answer your question you weren't already asking, we will have our big, fat trade deadline spectacular. I love that show. It gases me like you wouldn't even believe, but I love it. So tired at the end of that thing. That's two weeks away. What the hell? How did that happen? I thought it was later. They moved it up a little bit. I'm going to get with the program over here. Uh, please do drop a five-star review on the podcast. They've, they've done something weird now where I can no longer see exactly how many reviews there are uh, when, I, when I pull it up on my phone or when I pull it up on the computer. So now while I'm doing the podcast, I'm trying to remember to actually bring up the page because I told you guys I would read the most recent review or maybe a recent review of the podcast live on air as a, an impetus to get you guys to, oh, you know, I don't know, drop a review on the podcast. Is it working? I don't know, but I've had a couple of funny ones, and, you know, we'll keep doing it until, until the, you guys stop writing them. All right, let's see what we go here. uh Let's see, what's the most recent one? We can do this on the fly without sounding too completely idiotic. um Here we go. Here's a new one. From Juan, JC Fresh, what's up, man? Hey, Dan, I started playing fantasy basketball for the first time this season, and I'm really enjoying it. Great, Juan, next year we'll get you to put a whole bunch of money on it, and you can steal from your friends. I've listened to your podcast since the beginning of this season, and I'm hooked. Thank you for giving me something to look forward to each week. Oh, that's nice. From your favorite stressed-out law student, Juan. Subject line was giving in to your persistent reminders. Be like one, Give in to my persistent reminders. Drop the five-star review on the pod, either on iTunes or on the podcast app on your mobile device. I'll appreciate it, and I'll read it. Maybe this is getting you guys to write some stuff. I still... Andrews Andrew's is the best still. You guys haven't beat him. Dan is long-winded and somewhat annoying, but I can't stop listening to him. That's the winner so far. Try to beat Andrew. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to Alan once again. Enjoy your Thursday. Smaller card tonight. So, uh, yeah, take a little bit of a deep breath with a three-gamer. Washington, Cleveland, Lakers, Brooklyn, Dallas, Portland. In terms of what we're watching for, real quickie here, Washington, maybe this is why Thomas Bryant's minutes were depressed on Wednesday, part of a back-to-back. Cleveland, Larry Nance is the guy to watch. Uh, Brooklyn, the health of DeAndre Jordan. Dallas, who fills in for Dwight Powell here in round one. And Trevor Ariza in Portland. So there are a few fantasy angles that we'll be watching here on this Thursday night. We will assess them tomorrow morning. I hope you'll join us. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation, also brought to you by our pals at mybookie.ag. Go sign up. Promo code today. Toodaloo.